Russia's invasion of Ukraine is rocking Eastern Europe, and one of the world's breadbaskets is caught in the crossfire. What do we know in this uncertain moment about world ag markets? That's today on Field Posts. Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. We welcome DTN's Todd Holtman today on a special edition of Field Posts to discuss what we know and the many things we don't as the Russia-Ukraine war continues to escalate. As fighting continues and civilians and civilian infrastructure seem to be increasingly targeted for attacks, Ag market watchers the world over wait and watch for news not only on the fate of the Ukrainian people, but also on the vast collateral damage the conflict is likely to wreak on a growing region of global importance. We'll talk about the uncertain world wheat supply and what it might mean for regional food security, Russian sanctions and the financial fallout, and what soaring energy prices and significant uncertainty might mean as farmers in the U.S. and beyond prepare for planting in a world still recovering from a pandemic and substantial weather stress. We'll touch on China, global shipping, and how to weigh the news when you're drinking from a fire hose right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the absolutely heartbreaking news we've been hearing out of Ukraine for the last several days. Todd, tell us what you know right now about Ukraine and how that situation there is affecting U.S. markets. Yeah, obviously Ukraine is under attack. I believe we're on day seven as we speak. And it's uh, horrific to see. It's largely a lot of uh, cities and unarmed people being bombed with very little to fight back with. But God bless them, they are resisting. And they're making it difficult on the Russians, and the Russians are having their own problems. Sounds like their convoy on the way to the capital city has stalled for lack of fuel and food, which is not what you would expect of this Russian military power that gets so portrayed all the time. But it's obviously a very tough situation, and it, it's the, the concern is how far and just uh, horrendous does Putin want to keep pushing this, and he's threatening the nuclear option, of course. And for a guy that's shown that his ego comes before everything else, it's hard not to take that nuclear threat seriously. There's still a lot of concern that this could get a lot worse than it looks right now. And of course, everyone's sending their prayers and best wishes that this turns out better than we fear. 
but it's not good from a hum humanitarian perspective. And uh, obviously it's raised a lot of fears in the markets for ag markets in particular. Ukraine is one of the real breadbaskets of the world when it comes to food production. They're obviously heavily involved in our corn and wheat export markets, even in the world vegetable oil scene, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit. But the markets have had a huge bullish response to this attack in Ukraine. It's, it's not so much about the actual supplies there at, that are at risk. It's really more about the fear of where does it go from here and what might it mean for the markets in the year ahead. So much uncertainty, for sure. Just, I think uh, the word unprecedented gets thrown around a lot. I feel like people don't really have an idea <laughs> of uh, where things might be going. There, and there's so many different dimensions here. I want to start on the grain side. You mentioned corn. You mentioned oil. I think when people think of Ukraine, especially maybe U.S. farmers and folks in the U.S. context, wheat is very top of mind, especially given where the wheat global supplies are and the tough year that the U.S. wheat belt had. Where does this put us as a world in terms of wheat stocks, potentially? Yes, it's very concerning, Sarah. As we speak, there are some drought situations in Africa and Middle East, which tend to be poor nations, but they really rely on that wheat as a human food supply. And of course, wheat is a big staple in all of our diets. And yet, as you mentioned, this was a year where our North American production was at its lowest in 19 years. Russia's wheat production was lower in 2021. And so world supplies were actually about roughly at their lowest levels in about eight years. Now, the previous eight years had a big glut of wheat supply. I always describe it as wheat supplies were normalized this year, we brought down to more uh, typical levels. But having said that, obviously, we don't have a huge glut of world wheat supplies at the moment, and we were counting on 2022 to probably restore a lot of that surplus. The, the early weather factors were looking good for Ukraine and Russia. But of course, there's a lot of growing season yet still in front of us. But for this conflict to erupt at a time when our wheat supplies have been are down worldwide, and there are some wheat needs due to drought in some of the poorer parts of the world, it's just a bad mix all around. Yeah, really devastating. And I wonder, as you are watching this play out, how you are paying attention to not just demand. I think we've heard about hunger and scarcity in the Middle East and in North Africa. But we're also Europe. You mentioned that Ukraine is the one of the breadbaskets of the world, but in particular, it's a breadbasket of Europe. What could this mean in terms of how it affects regional planting for this year and how folks are making decisions about other crops and potentially making a big switch to wheat? Yeah, of course, the big planting question of this year is Ukraine going to plant a crop? <laughs> and that's something that we don't know how that's going to go. We have to assume Russia will plant their crop for the most part, where it's not in any threatened area. Europe still, their wheat supplies are adequate in the continent there. And they're if anyone is going to benefit physically from increased demand for wheat from the Ukraine situation, it's Europe. And uh, they, but as prices as being as high as they are, I think we're all going to have plenty of incentive for producers to plant wheat as long as they're able to plant wheat. Here in the U.S. and Canada, maybe to a lesser extent, they've gotten more moisture lately, but here in the western U.S., we still have a lot of drought concern 
that's probably going to limit our production this year. The typical constraints will apply in this unique situation. The other part of this, another big part of this, there are so many facets of this situation, but from the U.S. perspective in particular has been very sanctions-based. You mentioned Russia will probably plant a crop this year, but one of the limitations seemingly will be, can they get the resources they need to do that? Because the Russian economy is currently in a suspended state at the moment while the government tries to deal with a world full of sanctions. What does that all mean for not just planting, but also how will those sanctions and that kind of shift in the world order play out in ag markets? You raise another good question there, and that's another dimension in this uh, whole situation. I've been really very encouraged by the response of the, seems like almost to the entire international community, except for China when it comes to trying to put up some type of sanctions or boycott against Russia. And so for countries that need the wheat, it's hard to see them saying, we're not going to take Russian wheat this year. And that would be understandable. But there have been some shipping lines that said they're not going to ship Russian goods. And as you mentioned, it's going to be very difficult to do any business in Russia this year financially. Their ruble is under extreme pressure. Their ability to make international payments has been severely restricted by these sanctions. I, I don't know what it's going to be like, to be honest, to do business. If you're a Russian producer, can you order seed and fertilizer and get the things you need and make the transactions you need to make, especially with a, a currency that's rapidly losing its value. That just adds to the uncertainty of even though Russia's expect was earlier expected to have a big crop in 2022, will they actually be able to pull it off? I, I think that's also part of the unknown. And I think you mentioned another big wild card in this whole situation, China which I think there was concern that China's reaction and potentially standing with Russia would loom larger in this whole situation than it has so far. But I think China looms particularly large in ag in a, in a unique way. How are you watching what's happened, what, what is coming out of Beijing and, and what Xi Jinping is saying right now in terms of, is he, any signals coming out about how China might move forward this year and whether we might see any changes in the way they've been interacting with the U.S. in terms of buying ag products? Yes. Of course, at the Olympics, we saw the iconic picture of Putin standing next to Xi Jinping and signifying their new newfound relationship, and they're going to be great trading partners and work to try to blunt the, the influence of the U.S. in the world. And, uh, excuse me, that may be backfiring on China a bit now to be associated with Putin in such a strong way. And some of the statements out of China have seemed a little bit cautious or lukewarm toward the events in Ukraine now, although they have not come out and condemned Russia specifically. They have been very cautious in their comments of the Russian on Ukraine. So I do think that they feel that there could be some heat from being too closely aligned with Putin during this time, especially if the images that we see coming out of Ukraine get more and more horrific. So I think they've gotten themselves into a bit of a bind. One of the specific issues that I'm watching is our corn exports. China, they have a need for corn. I think there's no doubt about that. Their, their current price in their country of corn is well over $11 a bushel, and they need supplies. They've been getting them from Ukraine before the war. 
But now with the wartime situation going on, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to obtain those supplies. At some point, it seems likely that they'll want to come to the U.S. for more corn supplies. And I'm talking in the current crop se- old crop season before we get to the end of August. I think there's a good chance they'll have to come back to us for corn. So we continue to watch for that. But so far, they really have not been a significant buyer of our U.S. corn since May of 2021. It's an interesting little maybe standoff here. We'll see how long they can go without corn. I want to talk about the other kind of big element of this, which is about energy and the Russia, obviously a a gigantic energy player in Europe for sure, but also globally, we've seen gas prices really go up. Two questions, I guess. The first one, are you tracking this as kind of like a short term issue or do you expect this could, you know, last months, if not longer? And then how, what kind of impacts is that having on ag markets in the short term? It's having a big impact. And of course, the energy market has had a big impact on the whole inflation story and our ag markets ever since the pandemic hit and we lost a lot of oil production to the pandemic and we lost a lot of oil companies to bankruptcy during the, the pandemic. So it's been very hard to get our U.S. production back. On top of that, OPEC and Russia have been slow to bring back world production for the rest of the world. So we've seen these rising energy prices and now with the attack on Ukraine, the, the crude oil has bursted to new highs. And as we speak this morning, it was trading near $111 a barrel. That's the highest we've seen since seven years. And really, it takes us back to a time even earlier than that when ethanol was first mandated in this country was when crude oil was breaking over $100 a barrel. So it's very <laughs> a strong argument for U.S. biofuels. And I was a a bit sad, honestly, that President Biden did not take advantage of this opportunity to make a recommendation that we increase our ethanol blends, because what a perfect time to do that this year. And I do not think this is going to be a short-term thing, Sarah. And I say that because at first, we were worried maybe Russia will withhold oil from the market if our sanctions are too tough on them. But now what's turning out is a much different thing. We're actually so uh, incensed worldwide at what Putin's doing that three major oil firms have announced they're pulling out of Russia. They're not going to help Russia produce oil anymore. And in the Financial Times this morning, they commented that a lot of the world's largest oil buyers are basically boycotting Russian oil. Now, this is a big deal. Russia exports roughly 7.5 million barrels a day of oil. The world economy is on track to consume about 101 million barrels a day. We were expected to have a slight surplus this year to help bring those oil prices back in balance. But without that 7.5 million barrels of export or import for the rest of us from Russia, it's going to be a very tough situation. And so I, I, I don't think it's short term. I think we'll be dealing with this all year long. And, of course, there's going to be much more incentive for our U.S. producers to get going again. The flip side of that being this, uh, the ongoing issue in the U.S. with incredibly high, record high fertilizer prices. I think that there is the concern, despite the fact that most of that, maybe most of that rise in fertilizer prices was actually due to some past weather problems here in the U.S. Do you expect that the conflict in Eastern Europe could cause that fertilizer 
problem to worsen or to last longer than we might have expected it to? Unfortunately, yes. Russia is a big supplier of the material. So is Belarus, which is seen as a friend of Russia. Now, Belarus got sanctioned last year for some misbehavior, but it's it wouldn't be surprising if Russia gets sanctioned on their fertilizer this year too. And, and if they don't, again, there may be a lot of firms that just don't want to do business with them. So that does not make the situation easier at all. And it, it just points to the need that we need to find new sources of fertilizer. And there are new methods being talked about that would make the production of fertilizer easier. But those are maybe two to three year solutions where we need something fairly soon. I want to talk about one other, you mentioned President Biden missing the opportunity to talk about biofuels, but the one thing he did talk about that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on was international shipping and concerns there about antitrust or the Biden administration potentially taking a look at affecting the way that global shipping, especially ocean shipping works. Do you expect that action, that announcement to have any impact on the transaction costs around global ag trade? I think given the circumstances we're in right now, it may help to balance out some of the bad effect that we're going to get from uh, the Ukraine situation. Probably not all of it, to be honest. But again, shipping is one of those areas where there's very few owners of large cargo ships and it seems to have evolved into a, a very highly concentrated market, not unlike the packing industry. And then events happen and things like the pandemic, obviously, was the big eruption that really exposed, oh, just that's not a great idea to have just a few firms in the world own basically all the major shipping traffic. So it, it's another one of those very tough monopoly power type of questions that neither party seems to know how to deal with. I applaud the president for doing whatever he can to bring down prices because uh, there, there's no doubt that there's gouging going on. I want to throw you the question that is prior to seven days ago, there were other news that we were following. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> I've heard. I, um, there was I a, can't remember a, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a, a pandemic, some weather issues. There were lots of other factors. Give us kind of your perspective on, obviously, compared to what's going on in Ukraine and all the uncertainty associated with that, many of these other issues pale in comparison. But I, it seems like there is a potential that we might need to walk and chew gum at the same time and pay attention to more than one factor. A market certainly will be likely to. How do you expect to continue weighing some of these other issues while this incredibly challenging conflict continues in Eastern Europe? Yes, good and tough questions. And you're right, there are other things going on. But unfortunately, most all of the other things going on are also feeding into the bullishness of the grain markets. So for instance, obviously we had drought damage in South America this year and that Brazilian soybean crop came up. This was not a great time for soybeans to come up short considering everything else that's going on. We still have a, a large corn crop being planted as we speak in Brazil and the southern one-third of that crop area is in very dry conditions, although there, there is a little rain in their forecast this week. But overall, uh, they're off to a dry start in southern Brazil. Argentina's crops are not doing well at the moment. They do have some rain in their forecast also, but they've also suffered drought damage. So we have that all going on. And then also in the case of world vegetable oil, 
We have tight supply situation, which began back when we had the pandemic and has yet to resolve. The war situation certainly does not make that better. But there's another thing going on in world vegetable oil, and that is more and more of that vegetable oil is being used for biofuels. And especially as crude oil starts to get up above $100 uh, a barrel, there's much strain in the uh, oil sector for that. Here in the U.S., we have a new product called Renewable Diesel, and it's a, a very attractive product in many ways. It's far superior to the old biodiesel that we're used to. And the petroleum industry is so excited that they're investing heavily into new renewable diesel plants. That plant capacity in the past 12 months is up 40%. <laughs> and so we are expanding soybean oil demand at a terrific rate at a time when all these oil supplies are short. We have drought in South America and now this problem in Ukraine. It, it's like the world's gone bullish, bonkers, crazy, and it's hard to keep up with it all, to be honest. Truly. Last couple of questions here. As farmers or other producers, folks in the ag industry are watching these day-to-day -day fluctuations in markets and USDA as they attempt to put out reports and provide information and do the best they can to shine a light on this very tumultuous moment. How how, how I don't, any advice on how to take the mid or the long view and how to not get rattled or riled by the hour to hour shifts in, in news? Yeah, I, I would say producers, you've spent many, many years with very tough prices to make a living at and you survived through some very tough times. This is one of the few opportunities and times that you get that is opposite of that uh, right now. And the, the good news, I think, one of the good best pieces of news this week that came out were the new crop insurance levels. The February averages were set, and they are some of the highest we've seen in 20 years, in some cases highest on record. So thankfully, as uncertain as this situation is, as difficult as it is to tell what fall harvest prices are going to be like, given the situation in Ukraine and everything else going on, in spite of your high fertilizer costs this year and everything, you're being given a very good safety net, thankfully. And I think consumers also ought to rejoice that that, that safety net is going to be there because it's going to encourage our farmers to get out there and plant the best crop situations they can where the weather will allow them to grow crops the best they can. And our whole economy is going to need that production this fall. So thankfully, uh, a lot of the risk or discouragement that might have afflicted us planting a crop this year has been taken out of the financial equation. So it, I think it's really good to have that peace of mind. Uh, and give our producers lots of confidence to get out there and plant. And then my last question is just a little bit of a look ahead. We have a WASDE coming out next week. We've talked quite a bit on this podcast about, you know, how USDA collects data and uh, the particular challenge of having reliable data from China. But now we have two major producing regions that one is currently being invaded and the other we have a antagonistic relationship with at the moment. Do you expect that Ukraine the Russia-Ukraine war is going to impact how effectively USDA can capture reliable information coming out of that region of the world? The, the tough truth is the, the WASDE report 
is largely based on backward-looking data. And none of us have a crystal ball for how the Ukraine situation is going to turn out. So it's incredibly tough to look forward and put out any numerical estimate that we could, any of us could have confidence in. Our egg policy editor, Chris Clayton, did an interview with Secretary Vilsack yesterday, and he, he basically said it, it's just too early to have strong opinions on what the Ukrainian situation is going to mean to our ag markets. And he's right. He's, he's not bluffing on that. It, it's just too early for all of us. So we'll take the WASD report numbers best we can. We'll try to make sense out of them best we can. And But we can't really expect them to know the future any more uh, than anybody else in this situation. It's just very tough. So our best benefit from the WASD report right now is just try to get the estimates that we do have of the things we do know as close uh, as possible, and we'll just have to work out the rest. You can read Todd's full analysis, follow the most recent stories on these timely issues, and read up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.